So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Hello, everyone. And uh, thanks for joining us again. We have a few announcements that Gene and I would are excited to bring to you. Uh, I know that we've missed several episodes lately, and that's uh, very unlike us. And it's in part helped us over the hump to transition to pure podcast format. We're going to be pre-recording all the episodes. Uh, for those of you diehards that uh, have been in the chat room almost every episode, uh, we're, we apologize for that. But we have thousands of podcast listeners and uh, and not as many live listeners. And if there is a problem and we're live, there's very little that we can do about it. But with pre-recorded, our episodes will start coming out on time again. And uh, it's also going to give us lots more flexibility. There's going to be a lot of exciting uh, things coming up, may even be some videos and stuff like that. So, um we're looking forward to it. So look for us to be making some changes in servers and this and that. Our old episodes will always be where they've been. We will be on iTunes, although there may be a new iTunes address. So be sure and get by our website at everydayconnection.me and sign up for our newsletter so that you can stay up on all of those uh, developments and announcements as they happen. Uh, plus, Gene and I just want to thank all of you for sticking with us for all these uh, years. It's uh, just awesome fun to do this, and we appreciate you all help making that possible. So, I guess this is the point where I say, welcome everybody to this first episode of Everyday Connection Now. I'm Rico Shields, and off here to my left, some, well, more than a thousand, just way over there, Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? I'm awesome. 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 Sitting in my studio. Sitting in your studio. At a desk this time. I, at a desk this time. I heard that just now before the show in the pre-show. You have a desk. I do. It's very exciting. It's awesome. I've been doing the last week of work um, for EC from the floor. <laughs> well, we contemplated the furniture issue because we're not the only thing we're purchasing is plastic for the windows and the uh, rugs for the floors everything else is um we're either using stuff we already own or stuff that's been given to us to redo the space so you know we're as we contemplated the furniture issue i i spent a good week living on the floor well making friends with the ground of my studio it it you're you're grounded in there now because you've spent some time on the floor and, uh, exactly. But I want to remind everybody because I know that you recently put up some pictures of the before and then the partway done 
uh, photos of your uh, studio slash office and um, all those brightly colored paints that, that just go to well, together so well and just look so planned, those are just paints that you were left, that were left to you, yes? Yes, yes. And those colors just came. George is a good paint interior designer, apparently, as well as travel agent and producer and um, scheduling dude. I mean, your talent is is a huge part of that, but George provided you with the colors. Um, yeah, and it's made for an absolutely beautiful blending. Yeah, I think so. That's where I was going for that, was that blended being thing of, which <laughs> might not have been the, the colors you would have chosen, you know, because they're... Oh, no, no, they're rather no. Bold. I mean, if I was thinking... If I was thinking studio space, I don't know why I would have would have not naturally gone this this way. I probably would have gone with um, much more earthy tones, and I honestly think that that would have been a mistake for the energy that I want in this space because it's creative space. So earthy tones would have it would have not worked, I don't think. So this this is much better. It's very lively and bright, and it's bright and energetic. You just want to do. Yeah, when you're in this room, you just want to do you want to do stuff. Yeah. So it's it's a perfect creative and space. Put the earthy tones in the bedroom because sometimes they make me want to. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, of course, if I was I, going for rea- for relaxation, then yeah, you know. But the creative space, not so much. Uh, at least in the space that I'm in so far, I have you know Pegasus and plants and stuff because. The living room is out, outdoors, so I'm outside. I apologize if any monkeys scream or anything. We'll, we'll try to avoid that. And we we usually banter about um, current events, but with this you know pre-taping and thing, uh, what's current? I don't know. Exactly. We could always see. Here comes a truck. I can tell. That's a current uh, event. That is a current event. That is a the current truck event. Is coming. Also. The Halloween crabs. I wanted to talk about the Halloween crabs just briefly because I just think it's cool. Um, everybody that's got access to the computer, you can just Google Halloween crab, and you'll find it easily, right? Gene, you found it quick? Oh, yeah. I was talking about Great. Halloween crabs Great. this Halloween morning. Crab. Yeah. Yeah, pictures, very easily, readily available. Google Halloween crab. It'll work. They're Halloween crabs because of their colors. They've got black and orange and some purple on their claws and but they're tiny little things as crabs go they're small the 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 ones around here are about an inch wide inch and a half there's one really big one it must be the daddy daddy crab but um but they're really cool they live in the forest here and eat dead plant material that's on the ground so they're one of the reasons that the forest is not covered with rotting material like I would have thought it would have been in a rainforest and um but they also, every year at the end of the dry season, when the rainy season is about to start, people watch for the Halloween crabs because they all, in like en masse, run out of the forest and go to the beach. Like tens of thousands of them show up on the beach. to uh, they, they go to lay their eggs. But um, even the bloggers that were like, you know, it must just be close, have discovered that when they show up on the beach, it rains the next day. It hadn't rained in like four months, but when they show up, it rains the next day. And nobody's really sure how they know, 
but you know how do wow. I, how do all these critters know when to breed? I don't know, but they do. They they a few of them will show up down at the beach, and then the next day there's like tens of thousands of them, and the next day it rains torrentially. So um, you need the weatherman when you have crabs. That's right. That's right. You just need Halloween crabs. They're colorful. They're small, so they're not really much of a bother. They will run right across your foot if you're standing still, but you know. It'll freak you out a little bit. Yeah, let's uh, huh. Good crabs. Oh wait, that sounds bad. Um anyway. <laughs> I was waiting for it. It had to come, you know, when I was set up for a bad joke, I'm gonna find it. Uh and and I am gonna eventually find a way that I can play, you know, the drum sounds and things in the in the recording studio because I miss them. Where's the drums? Um, but uh, valid question. Yeah, well, you know, you can tell bad jokes. You got to have a drum kit just to reach attention. But uh, we're thrilled to have with us and uh, back with us after a uh, disastrous attempt uh, before I was able to get (laughs) uh, internet issues here with the Coconut Telegraph straightened out. Uh, the guys at Jade Forest have been heroic. They have climbed poles and changed circuits and antennas to be sure that we're rock solid. And then, and then we turned around and had a torrential storm, and the entire internet went out. Jade Forest's equipment was working perfectly, but the entire internet for 20 miles in either direction uh, from where I'm located went out. So there's just been a case of some, you know, you need some time off or. I meant it when I talked about the podcast so. thing, you know, because we said we were going to do yeah. it, and then we went on with live shows, and George was just making sure we understood that he really meant what he said. <laughs> 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 with, with that whole do the podcast you thing. You will do this thing. You will do this thing. I think it was just a case of somebody needing a real kick in the head just to take some time off. But that's just between you and me and the gatepost. Yeah, well, and I guess all our listeners and our guests, and <laughs> yeah, and all those other people that you know, Gene decided that I needed to kick in the head to take some time off, you know. <sighs> I think so. I really do, but that's beside the point. That's not in here or there. Um, yeah, it's because you got some not time here. off. And I got some time on. off. It was enjoyable, and here we are. And um, so we have we have back with us Lou Emanuel. How are you, Lou? I am very, very well, thank you. Excellent. Apologies for our adventuring with the Internet last time that you were with us. Well, we had such a wonderful discussion, and it it just got me all lit up. And then it was gone. It was sort of lost, like back in the day before we had internet, before we had Skype recording, before we had, you know, all that we have now. So then I realized, you know what? Back in the day, that would have been normal. People would have had an amazing conversation, and that would have been it. It wouldn't have been archived on some website for all eternity. Yeah. Once upon a time, conversations were sort of, you know, Passing things. You either caught it or you didn't. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's, you're right. We've kind of gotten to where we don't expect that. We expect to be able to, oh, I'll go listen to that in the recording. And 
it doesn't always happen. Some I know that Gene and I, some of our best stuff comes when we're doing coffee in the morning, and we don't record that. Once upon a oh, time. Oh, no. I mean, we we really ought to, though, I think, every once in a while, because we've got some great one-liners. <laughs> yeah, we could do a video of, you know, Coffee with Source. <sighs> the new version of Coffee with Source, as opposed to <laughs> the way it used to be. We did a show. Hilarious. I swear, yeah, being in stitches the other day, Lou, I didn't start stop laughing for an hour. The whole time I was just sitting there just sipping my coffee, giggling. Well, I'm just <laughs> I'm just really grokking on coffee with source. I I like that. I uh I think you know from yeah, now on well, it's you know, it's uh yoga with source and strolling with source and you know. I think actually we might be able to get away with doing it now that our energetic around that concept has changed. Originally it was a very um angsty recording. Angsty. You know, we got together and that's a pleasant. Yeah, we got. So yeah, well, we got together and got on our pedestal every morning about what we didn't like, which was silly because that's giving a whole lot of attention to stuff you don't like. Um, right. But now but we eventually now stopped. We, it. Well, pretty quickly we stopped it. Actually, we didn't do it we very long. After like three. No, I think we did it twice or three times. Anyway, um, and realized that was silly. <laughs> what? Um, but now I think it's, we get together in the morning and have coffee and talk about amazing world events that, like, what the Pope is doing now um, is always a good conversation or what um, what new educational programs are being launched in the Philippines or, you know, who's making water bottles into light bulbs this week. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> it's been um, – our, our entire energetic around the whole concept of coffee with source has changed. So, who knows? Now that the studio's open, maybe it's an option. He's Could got be. Costa Rica background. I've got a studio. Could be. And we have good coffee option. down here. We really do. Indeed. I think I think Starbucks' most expensive cup of coffee right now is a Costa Rican coffee, and it's not as good as the coffee down here that you just pick up in the grocery store. They they keep the good stuff and export the rest. Well, let me just say that you are in the coffee source. Ah. You are are living in the coffee source, so you could have source coffee. That's right. With with source. And I've actually been, I've actually been, there's not not far from here. There's uh, a coffee company that they grow it. It's all organic. Uh, I've I've only had it at at Bob's place, the Road Shack, where he serves it in a French press. They bring you a little French press to the table with about two and a half cups of coffee in it. And um, it is just divine. And uh, the name of it is Madre Tierra, Mother Earth, organic coffee. And and I've considered taking my little video camera and tripod and going up there and chatting with the folks at Madre Tierra because... I'm going to do some local flavor flavor type episode things while we're here. I'm trying to get Jean to go, you know, get out of her house. And well, she gets out of the house. She just doesn't actually leave the property often. And uh, well, it's darling, as soon as the studio's done, I'll be able to leave. I'll have much more time. Yeah. But right now, it's a lot of work going into this little space. Oh, yeah. I'll. Ooh. I called her on the two dollar and seventy cent a minute 
you know, telephone from Costa Rica the other night to let her know that, <laughs> sorry, there's no such thing as Internet here. And um, uh, she said, you know, okay, well, I'll be up painting in the studio for hours if your Internet comes back. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I bet you will. <clears throat> Dawn till dusk and beyond, you've been in that studio working for days. Indeed. And still taking care of the house. Yeah. See, we're multi-talented people. We are. Yes, us. Creativity of many different And um, So. Absolutely. And you have to have, that's a good segue, actually, into what we want to talk about today, because you have to have um, access to be able to explore those multi-facets. And, and, and some ability to, you know, say, wow, I that mural is really cool, but if I did it, I would have done so-and-so. How do you do it? How do you paint a mural? And you, you, how do you how do you learn how to what how do I ha 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 great well true how do you, well because I mean we we get these interests in us and well we want to learn how to do something I mean I've had to learn how to do a whole bunch of really neat things in the last couple of weeks um, working on this place so but if you don't have the drive to learn how to do something you're not going to accomplish much you see. And even if you have the drive, if you don't have some tools, some basic, how do you find out? How do you find out what these tiny, brightly colored crabs that live under your house are? What I, you know, and, and, and maybe some would say that's a, oh, that doesn't need to use Google. Just Google. But really, to me, even using Google is much like using a card catalog or something else. You get all kinds of search results mm-hmm. and um you got to have some way to, to determine what goes with what so it is a perfect segue to the brilliant conversation that we had the other the other evening and 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 the even more brilliant conversation that we're going to have today about some changes that might be prudent in the way that we educate our children mm-hmm. uh, i know that you've spent a lot of time uh and energy thinking about just that. Because you, you have a bit of a history in education, do you not? I do indeed. Um, I, I have a, a degree in education from Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. And I, <laughs> you, wanna, you want the long story? Because it's a good one. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I went to do my what they call a practicum, the student teaching. You go in and you, you know, you're still in university, but you're you're practicing to be a teacher. So I went in, and I went into this classroom, and there was, you know, your average group of kids in there. It was, I think it was grade five, and there was one boy I noticed because I always noticed the underdogs, and I always noticed the ones that are hurting for some reason, the ones that are a little bit wounded or scared or hurting. I guess it's just the compassionate heart in me or something. Anyway, he just, you know, and I I talked to him and I found out that he just, he felt like he could never succeed, you know. And in university, we studied um, teaching for mastery, what they call mastery. So every child in, in the room would achieve mastery. And we had talked about testing for mastery. So you're testing to find out, did everybody learn what I taught them? 
And so, anyway, the teacher said, okay, you're going to do a whole unit, uh, I don't know, five weeks of instruction on such and such. I can't remember what, I think it was something to do with grammar or something. How to write well. So I did a whole thing, lesson plans and everything, and I taught these children. And at the end, I gave them a test to measure if they had learned what I had taught them. And every single child in that room passed the test. I was aiming for 60% for everybody because 50%, like if you learned half of what I taught you, that just seems kind of lame, you know, like hopefully you've learned at least 75% of what I taught you. But anyway, I, I was aiming for 60%, which which isn't, you know, great. It's not bad. Everybody got around 70%. And this boy was so changed by the fact that he passed and he'd done well. And it just meant so much to him. I was glad. The teacher took me aside at the end of the day. You can't do that. I said, what? She said, you, you can't pass everybody. I said, why not? And she said, you have to follow the bell curve. Some, what? Yes, ma'am. Some of them have to fail. I said, excuse me? You're condemning this boy who feels like he's such a loser? Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. I said, I never want to teach in a school like that ever, 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 ever. And I joined a commune. That's what I did. I joined a commune, and I taught... Um, the kids on the commune for a year and then I um, and that was really a learning experience and I just grew so much there and then I um, ended up working in remediation which is you know all the kids who've been hurt by the system and think they can't do it because the system has told them that they can't do it so I and I worked in um, a school for children with special needs and in need of remediation for I guess about 15 years, and then I worked in uh, two different alternative schools, the kinds of schools that we were talking about, Rick, last time, Sudbury Valley School. I worked at Apatina right. School. Yeah, I worked at Apatina School, which is very very much like Sudbury Valley, and then I helped to. Uh, direct and and grow um, a very small school here in the eastern townships of Quebec that was based on that similar idea of self-directed learning and um, child-centered, uh, child-led learning. There's all sorts of catch words you can use, but I I never ever ever wanted to be again in a system that would fail a child because you were supposed to, not because the child had failed. Well, and it, uh, it, you know, it, it's so scary that that's not the first time I've heard that horror story. I mean, that's why our friend R.C. Mallory does what he does in the Philippines because he discovered some really scary things about about the education system there, and and just couldn't couldn't sit still on it. You know what I mean? Just had mm -hmm. to had to do something to to try and fix what he saw as a gross injustice and, to and, the young and, people in his country. In part because he, as I can tell you do, takes great joy in seeing that light go on in a child's eyes when they're like, I got it. Mm -hmm. um, it 
I know everybody in the listening has had that experience, that feeling of there's something challenging and 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 then I got it. I I get it. It it just that's yummy. Uh it always was mm-hmm. to me. I was I was curious, George, when I was a kid. I wanted to know everything. I read the encyclopedia cover to cover twice, the world book, and um, we didn't have Britannica. I always wanted to get one because it was bigger, so I figured it had more <laughs> stuff. And uh, because I just wanted to know about everything, I, I, I really didn't know when I was young, and and I think that's not a bad thing for young kids to sort of go get some taste of everything because how else are you going to find what really turns you on if you don't go see some stuff. If you only see five things that they want you to see, you know, at some programmed curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, when I was working at Apatina School and even at the Peace School, Peace, P-E-A-C-E, um, here in, in uh, Fulford, Quebec, um what I saw was children were being given a great deal of freedom and they were being given a great deal of encouragement to be who they are and to really follow their hearts and follow their curiosity and follow their passion. And that's great. But, yeah, I, they didn't have the tools. And they seemed, as I said last time, a little bit lost. Uh, you know, how do I, where do I, what do I, how do, you know. So I just was thinking about, what would be the base? What do kids really need to know how to do? And after that, they're good to go. You know, it, it, what would be what would be the base? Kind of like, um, you know, what does your computer need as a base operating system? And once it has that, you can put in any program you want, and you know, you can do all kinds of applications on your computer. But it needs that basic operating system so that it can then take, you know, whatever you give it and, and go. And it would be the same thing with these children. What do they need? So, you know, your basic literacy and your numeracy, they need to be able to work with numbers. They need to be able to work with um, reading just about anything they could possibly want to read. Well, so if you're going to do that, you're going to need to be able to figure out what the words mean if you come across words you don't know. So then you need a really good basis in phonetics, so you can just sound out any word and figure it out, what it is, and then you need to be able to use a dictionary, and we need, you know, really good dictionaries around. I was blessed by um, having access to my father's uh, Oxford Concise, which is a huge book. Uh, My father was a scholar at Oxford uh, back in the day, and... Uh, it's, it's an etymological dictionary. It gives you the history of the word all the way back to the, when it was first used. Uh, it gives you whether it comes from the Latin or the French or the Old English or the Germanic or, you know, it's just fascinating. Um, my husband was in here the other day and he's not, it's not his usual thing, but he said, I really want to understand this one word. I want, I'm going to look it up in your dictionary. And I was so glad. It was like, wow, that's great. But so th- these are the basics, you know. The things we use to communicate, you know, there's a place, I think it's Estonia, they're teaching all the kids how to code. They're teaching it as a basic skill, how to code computers, how to write program code for computers. And I'm like, wow, that is so cool. 
And maybe that becomes a new base skill that we, you know, all the kids are going to want to have. But for now, here in North America, we've got, you know, reading and phonics, good dictionary yeah, it, skills, you know? It's it's really it's really odd that um, the base skills that we consider to be base skills are the same base skills that we developed hundreds and hundreds of years ago as base skills of education. Yet our technology and our so our technological and sociological advancements have been astounding leaps and bounds. And yet our education system hasn't caught up. It's still following a basic well you know even if i google roman structure right but even if i google or duck duck go or whatever it is go go duck um as an alternative to google um i still need to be able to read what comes up on the screen from my search you know and as rick was saying it's not always so easy because a lot of times you type in something and what comes up is a bunch of commercial stuff when you want something else, uh, that type of thing. But, yeah, I mean, reading is, you know, communicating through words is still kind of the way we're doing it for now. Oh, I I understand, but I, I'm just saying that there's basic skills that need to be added in to to that system that aren't being acknowledged. I mean, because like, it goes beyond just reading. You need that discernment, like you said, mm-hmm. the discernment to know which link is right. That's that's a skill that you learn. That's you know, and, yes. and, and, so, and learn not to just take it on face value. There's disastrous examples of that where the internet's being used in some countries as you know. There's kids that go, well, of course it's true. I saw it on the internet, and that's not any more true than seeing it in the media or seeing it anywhere, mm-hmm. in my exactly. opinion. Yeah, I think discernment is absolutely a key skill. And I, I was going to mention that, actually, because I want that to be part of my curriculum for sure. And discernment has, you know, I guess it has components to it, because um, there's checking in with yourself and there's um, – there's also checking in with peers and, you know, there's just there's various levels of things you can do to check in and see, is this true for me? Does this ring true for me? And really be discerning with the information that you're given. Yeah, absolutely, Nikki. Thanks for bringing that up because that's true. Can you think of any others that are skills we need now? I'd like to see the education system start talking to kids about following their intuition. Mm. That's a big one for me because that is a base human skill that we are taught to neglect and then we, thankfully, many of us stumble upon again later in life and reconnect with that basic skill. But we either need to stop teaching them to disconnect from it or we need to remind them that to be connected to it is a wonderful, glorious thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to, as long as we're on the eyes, I'd like to add imagination. Um, yes. When when I, I was magi nation. Right, I magi nation. It's a nation of magicians, and and really, your imagination can be magic. It it Einstein it, it admitted that you know he 
would see something in his mind, and then it might take him years to be able to figure out how that works. But he knew what he was after because he'd seen it. And, um, you know, how that works with a child who's told every time that they, you know, imagine a purple elephant or whatever, it's, like, it's not like that. And 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 the, there maybe needs to be some element of, you know, does that, you know, for the moment match with your reality, but not this dismissive and, and really negative connotation. You know, you're, you're trying to explain something to somebody as a child and your parent passes you off and says, oh, he's just got a really vivid imagination. Don't pay any attention to him. <laughs> That's the most horrid dismissal of imagination by a parent because little kids think their parents are gods, that everything they say is the truth, and and that's a horrible thing to say because imagination is is part and parcel to everything. Uh, you know, how do you how do you you got an empty house? You just got this beautiful new house and it's empty, and you how do you figure out what to put and where and what? And it almost always starts in the imagination. It doesn't start with a square thing on paper where you're moving pieces of it. It, it starts in your imagination, and um, and that's almost drummed out of children in the current model. I agree. I think that's a great suggestion. Intuition, imagination. Um, I'm going to add connection and collaboration. Um, and my husband just started mowing the lawn, so I'm just going to go close the window. And I'll be right back. All right. Um, yeah, collaboration's another good one. Uh, because it, it, well, our coffee with source. We come up with some of our best stuff when we bounce the energy back and forth uh, between us, Gene and I. We'll, one of us will have had an idea that has come through imagination, intuition, into it, it's come from somewhere. And somewhere. Yeah, somewhere this thing popped up, you know. And then in, in an open, and imagination is okay type uh, atmosphere like we have between us, you can take that little ball of information or energy or however, you can take that thing and throw it back and forth like playing catch. And and it grows and it, it refines and it, it it's, you could almost call it an alchemical process. This idea turns into a radio show or this idea turns into a now... A podcast or uh, videos or a colorful studio as opposed to a drab one. Not drab, earthy. Earthy. So, yeah, I mean. So that collaboration, uh, yeah. Nikki? No, no, go ahead, Lou. Um, yeah, um, working together, t uh, listening to the other person and really hearing them, um, speaking your truth from the heart, um, giving space Gratitude. to yourself, gratitude. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, giving space to yourself, giving space to the other. Uh, so a lot, there's a lot in collaboration. There's a lot of really deep skills, um, deeply valuable and meaningful skills in collaboration. And what else? Curiosity, asking good questions, um, honesty. You know, there's a there's a lot um, that these kids can be um, introduced to and shown and then, you know, encouraged to practice. Yeah, given given that safe space to practice, to play with it, to, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't mean to just fall on invention because it applies to everything, but, uh, you know, it, how many times did... Edison fail at making the light bulb. And of course he says I never failed. I just found 500 ways not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that sounds subtle, sounds perhaps silly, but it is the difference between having a light bulb and not is the safety to go, oh, well, human hair's not it. What next? Instead of, oh man, I thought I was going to have a light bulb. And, uh, and and that is also engendered, I think, in part with the education system where you take one shot at writing a paper or doing an assignment of whatever sort, and after that one shot, you get graded, and you either failed or succeeded. And you don't get any uh, constructive feedback of, well, you know, that's a good start. What about, as opposed to F? What? <clears throat> That just doesn't, um, you know, it's a reason that some of our great thinkers have flunked out of school mm. or been asked to leave school is because they refuse to go with the, what, what do you mean flunk, and, and that's over now. I I have other things to try. I was, you know. Didn't they, didn't they boot Einstein out or didn't he quit? Yeah, well, and, and uh, I think he did finally get, some fine or something, but yeah, and 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 uh, Edison with the light bulb, they threw him out, and he got he got fired from his job with the train. He was working on trains. He was doing experiments back in the caboose, and he blew one up. So they they fired him, and and um, but he just kept going. And look at all the amazing things that you know everybody knows about the light bulb, but what about the phonograph and movies and all these things that. If those didn't come out of his imagination, or by way of his imagination, I, you know, I don't want to get into a semantic discussion about how does that work. It works well, is how it works in my book. <laughs> and you know, and, right? Why dissect it? Mm-hmm. Why dissect it? Yeah, there's a whole other piece to this as well that I think is really important, and you're reminding me of it, Rick, as you speak. And that is self-assessment. It is, instead of other people tell me when I've done well, other people tell me whether I measure up or I do not, I determine when I have done well. I determine how I measure up. And this shifts, this is incredibly empowering. Because instead of giving our power away to the authority outside of ourselves who then tells us, you know, F or A or B or whatever, 
we determine for ourselves. And, you know, it's a huge shift. And this is another part of teaching children to teach themselves because you do something and then you say, well, how did I do? You know, instead of teacher, how did I do? And it might be one of the most challenging aspects of this project for me because um, kids and parents are not necessarily used to wrapping their their conception of school and teaching and education around the idea of self-assessment. And yet, you know, it's for me, it's really important. It's really, really, really important because there's all these people in the world who measure themselves by what other people think of them. And I think we can, I think, you know, we can safely move on from that now. That's actually a really, really good point that you brought up. It's one of the things that I've, I've kind of noticed with my daughter being 16 and in the public education system, I would often ask her, how did you do? And she would hem and haw and, and you know, like, you know, she'd pick her up from an exam and say, how did you do? And she'd hem and haw. Then I switched it from how did you, how did you do to how do you think you did? And she would actually engage in that. Mm. You know what I mean? As opposed mm-hmm. to, as opposed to just kind of ignoring the question or shutting me down or not really having an answer, she would engage. Mm-hmm. Like you can ask, how did the teacher think you did? <laughs> or you can ask, how do you think you did? Or how do you, how did you feel about that experience today? That you you took a test today. How did it feel? You know. Right. So there's different levels. Yeah. Were you nervous? Yeah, and how that did, was. How did it feel for you? You know. Well, and I I I I think you've you've hit upon one of the huge, huge things about um, education that that tends to aid and continue separation and aid and continue this lack of self-confidence, lack of self-esteem, is everything. From the time, maybe not kindergarten, but from the time you get into first grade, and, and move on. Everything is other centric. Mm-hmm. Everything is other guided, other judged, other evaluated, other, 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 mm-hmm. others, others. It's you. You get no say, pretty much, and you you often feel powerless. I felt powerless about because I couldn't exactly just go to the teacher and explain. But wait, this is. But wait, you know. Uh, or the dreadful, you know, show your work, and and you always get the right answer, but you're doing it a different way, and they, you know, ah, that's. And your way is not okay. Yeah, all One progress. One of my pet in school was your no, your way is not okay. It has to be done this way. But I got the right answer. And I can do it over and over again. Give me more problems, I'll get you the right answer every time. But, um, uh, it it. It's not allowed. That's not the way that the group no, does it. And you can't. You know. and, it, and it was like it's you know it's like that in the math. The sciences I understand have to be you know with the scientific understanding that we currently have, they have to be fairly structured. I understand that, but 
even in writing and and literature, it was always very structured, structure, structure, structure. There was no just pick up a pen and get a piece of paper and allow your thought and feeling to flow onto paper and run with that. Mm. It was always rough draft and then second rough draft and point form and hoo-ha. And it's like, ah, no. <laughs> I don't, my brain doesn't, my brain doesn't <laughs> think in outlines. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, um, some things about school that I remember thinking, this is insanity. Why would anybody want to do this this way? It doesn't make sense. Mm. Yet, in order to survive in society and be accepted, you got to get through the school. Right. You got to so play by their rules. So this is my my excitement these days. I feel like um, uh, one of those. <laughs> One of those animal liberation people who go to the the, the labs and and let the monkeys out of their cages, or the beagles, or, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, what I want to say to these children, um, especially at the high school level, is, um, you know, you're there because you feel like you have to be, and you know this isn't directed at kids who love school and love the structure and are thriving in it you know obviously they they're they're good they let, let them be um but for the ones who are feeling dissatisfied or that they're wasting their time or um that they're failing and they don't know why or um you know you're there because you feel like you need to be let's use this opportunity to give you a skill set that's going to take you through the rest of your life with joy and empowerment let's use this time and all these assignments that they're giving you for you to teach yourself how to move through um a set of studies you know they they want you to learn this well let's let's use that as an example of something you can learn and teach yourself how to learn how to assess your own um understanding and skill and decide if you need to do it again or not or remediate whatever. And then the question after that becomes, what do you want to learn? What lights you up? You know, what are you curious about? So it's just to say, if you if you feel stuck, let's at least use it to good effect to get you... Strong for the next part of your life, for the for the rest of your life, really. Absolutely, because it it. I think it's often been said that once upon a time, university was a place where you learned how to think, not what to think. And now they just tell you what to think. And if mm-hmm. you don't give them back what they have prescribed, you fail. And it it just shouldn't be, because that's really, I think, when you get down to it, that's kind of what you're talking about. How to how to learn, how to think, mm-hmm. how to how to be critical about something, how to be discerning about something. It's uh, mm-hmm. um, it's how to think, how to how to do that. Mm-hmm. So what it really is, it boils down to being able to discern the the information that's going to benefit you for your highest good from the information that's not. That's mm-hmm. like that should be basic teach it in kindergarten or earlier life skill. Honestly, 
Um, and that goes back to the intuition thing because once they know how to learn and they know they have the basic tools in order to be able to learn whatever they want to learn, combine that with the natural intuition to know what's going to benefit them to learn, there's no stopping them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because they'll you can try and they'll just take off and go on their own, you know. Yeah. And and if they have that basic skill set to start with, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah but I, I, mean, I think it's it, I think it's awesome because there are there's just so many that are lost in the in the whole deal, and um, uh, it it lost is not a it's not a good place to be. <laughs> it you 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 want to you want to move through life with love not with criticism not with wrongness what is all this wrongness mm. that's wrong what <laughs> and there's never there's never a an attempt on the teacher's part to try to determine well what what are they doing you're doing yeah. it wrong well what, what, maybe no. they're doing something. Maybe they're doing something in a particular way because they have an artistic bent, or you know, math is worthless because I want to be an art artist. Oh, really? Uh, have you seen geometry? And it, sometimes they catch on fire because they they start to learn that you know, wow, when the when I'm drawing a face or whatever, it really is. There's there's boxes and triangles and circles, and they go together, and they and and those tools could be useful to them. You know, mm -hmm. and and a teacher that's helping them, you know, move through it with love as opposed to a stiff curriculum is, uh, well, it, it it reminds me of a song. You have a song, I think. <laughs> Which one this time? Um, called <laughs> Moving Through Love. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And um, because I... I I really think that that is, in a large way, what we're talking about. If you love the child and you start from love, then you're wrong. You fail. Just isn't an option. You have to. I love them. I. You be more like you know parents. Try to figure out what they're doing. What? What? How did we get here? What can we do from here? What? How can? How can I love this child? as they are, and be of assistance to them in being more, period. Not measuring them against a stick. You know, I mean, I think it was Einstein talked about if you measure every, everything by the same test, you know, and, and, and you give them all the, the, the tree climbing test, well, you know, some of them are going to be failures. They don't like to climb trees. They're scared of trees or whatever. I, I just want to speak up for teachers everywhere and say that the pressures they're under are incredible. And a lot of them, a lot of people go into teaching because they do honestly love kids and love to teach and love learning. And they can't do what they want to do with all their hearts because of the structure that they're in. That was true for me. Oh, absolutely. Sure absolutely true. Absolutely, that's a valid, valid, valid point, and we should discuss that more when we get back from the break. Um, I think it's something that needs to be touched on because I've, as a mother, run into that with teachers as well who are explaining to me my hands are tied. This is all mm -hmm. I can do. 
Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really it goes far beyond the front line and into the system itself. So we can talk about that when we get back from the break, the music break. Absolutely. That's an excellent one. We're not just going to set the kids free. Let's set the teachers free, too. So uh, yeah. set my people free. But, again, that would also be loving. So uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's have a little moving through love uh, from our guest tonight, today, this afternoon, uh, Lou. And uh, we'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Oh, what joy, oh, what gladness is filling up my life as I take the time to explore this love. Look around, all around us is song and laughter, and the cloudscapes are moving through love. You see, Earth's mother feels such pain, well, she's stronger everybody when I just wanted to tell people that um, there are more of my songs as well as tone poems and 
um, the light, the what some people call light language um, sounding that I do, which can sometimes be very profoundly healing for people. Um, and these can be found on my YouTube channel, which is Lou Emanuel 33. Awesomeness. That's awesome. Everybody go check that out. Just look for Lou Emanuel 33 on YouTube. And uh, because Lou is 33, uh, that's just what she's planned to be. It's 33. It's a good age, 33. <laughs> like that. I'm thinking about being 28 again. But I've been 33 for 21 years. That's awesome. You ought to be getting good at being 33 by now. <laughs> but anyway, it was as often happens during the break. We got to talking again, and uh, uh, awesome brilliance and stuff coming out. And uh, but I know before the break we were we had kind of teased about the subject of turning the teacher free, <clears throat> setting the teacher free. Well, um, I spoke to a teacher who happens to be my my neighbor. Um, she's a math teacher at the local high school. And I spoke to her about my idea. And she said, oh, God, can you do that? I would love that. Because I said um, I, I would teach the children how to teach themselves. <laughs> and she, I said, yeah, I guess you probably find it quite challenging to work with so many teacher-dependent children. Teachers have this um, label that they use for children who are really totally unable to mm, direct their own learning or motivate themselves or assess in any way their their learning. They're, they're basically totally teacher-dependent as opposed to being independent. And my uh, my idea here is to have children become so totally independent that they need very, very little teaching, which would also cut down the cost of all this educating we're doing. But mm, that gets into all kinds of vested interests and things like that. So I'll just quietly gnaw away <laughs> at, at the system from outside. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you know, not not to go Canadian or anything, but old Buckminster Fuller was pretty clear on the point that you don't you don't change things by fixing something. You just create something new that makes the old one obsolete. Exactly. Exactly. And I do believe the old system is obsolete. I really do. Um, yeah. I suppose... It was necessary at the time. I mean, if you've got a, a planned vision of a society, then you need to educate your young in order to fulfill the roles of the individuals of that society. Um, but as our understanding shifts, and so too is our education system going to have to naturally shift along with it. It just makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it, everything is shifting so quickly now. It's it's amazing and wonderful. And the education system just seems like this really anachronistic, you know, sort of tortoise, uh, not to be 
flagging the tortoises because they're beautiful creatures too. But you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just <laughs> such an anachronism. It's just like, yo, got to change. Okay, it's time. <laughs> it's like really, it's not the 1700s anymore. We got it too. <laughs> And, uh, it, it definitely is one of the systems that is kicking, like digging in its heels, kicking and screaming, and putting up a huge temper tantrum as far mm-hmm. as as systems um, gracefully going into a, the great beyond. But <laughs> um, it right up, right up there. That's the graceful. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely kicking and screaming, but it is going. It doesn't have a choice. I mean, it's going to change whether it likes it or not, so it might as well just accept the fact. Well, and people talk. Our young people today aren't going to put up with this education system as not, it stands. Not for long. And, 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 and people talk about it. Adults talk about it all the time. The education system needs, so we got to do something. The education system is broken. Mm-hmm. It's actually not broken. It's working exactly as it was designed. It was just designed for some totally different need than we might have now or want to have now. And and I've not understood it because businesses are clamoring, you know, we need innovative people. And our people don't know how to innovate. All they know how to do is follow rules. Well, that's all they've been taught. And, you know, they're even telling us that the kids, they can't read properly, they can't um, discern information properly at the level of the universities and the colleges. They're, they're telling us that the even the very, very basic skills that the school system is supposed to be giving to these kids, in a lot of cases we're not giving it, and then, we, of course, we have dropout rates that are very high, 45%, 50% in some communities, very, very high dropout rates at the high school level. So, you know, massive, massive cost and not that much to show for. And and poor results, frankly. Mm-hmm. And um and, and it was. It was a system and, and I heard this from somebody that was given a talk, so I don't I don't have the the uh, footnotes to give people, but the, the system was basically designed at a time. It was designed in England. It was designed at a time when the British Empire was attempting to spread all over the world. And what they needed was people <clears throat> that would could go to some foreign place where things are totally different, yet arrive there and do things just exactly the way that they're done in England. And uh, do the reports that way, do the execute the the actions that way this is how we do it and we see how well that worked out for the british empire not 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 so well it worked okay for a little while but then it kind of went to pot and but but the education system just kept steaming on like some monolithic gigantic uh, out of control thing and (laughs) You know, you see these people and they, well, well, teachers need more money and we need more computers and we need more books and we need more this and we need more that. And, you know, when you've got a car that the engine doesn't run, you can put all of the fog lights and stereos and comfy seats and redone paint and you can do all that you want. But if you haven't done anything about the engine, that car is still not going to work. You're just going to get a pretty 
car that doesn't work. And, you know, 50 years from now, they'll repaint it a different color because the styles have changed. And that's really, it seems to me, like what they're doing. The basic engine behind education doesn't work anymore. It, it, it works for what it was designed to do, but what it was designed to do is crap. And, the, and there's a lot of collateral damage, as we've already mentioned. There's a lot of kids who, you know, that when I first came on the show today and talked about the the, the boy who had been failed because <laughs> she had to match the bell curve. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So well, a lot insanity. of collateral damage. Insanity. A lot, a lot of insanity and and. Yeah, just tons and tons and tons of collateral damage to our souls and our spirits and our imagination and our initiative, all kinds of things. We were talking during the break about um, the concept of time and ha having to tell a child, you know, well, you have to stop learning about that now because we don't have any more time for that. I don't want to stop learning about this. Well, sorry, it's time for you to stop. So you have to stop. So we teach that you know you only learn when you're allowed to learn and you know just and that's weird that's, you know I mean that's a really weird concept to instill into a child's face makeup but it is part of our education system and it certainly has been a huge part of growing up has been that you have learned that you can't do what inspires you and makes you passionate un unless other people say it's okay you can do that now mm -hmm. or you can only do it like on saturday afternoon for so long the rest of the time <laughs> the rest of the time you have to do this stuff that you hate in order to earn the 4 hours to do what you want to do on saturday Mm -hmm. And and I'm sorry, but my concept of a supreme power or entity or higher whatever, higher power, put me here, and I have certain interests, and they're not invalid or else I'm invalid. And, again, we get into that self-esteem issue, you know, what you think doesn't matter. And, and well, okay, then there's something wrong with how I think, obviously. that's Children are very simple, you know. that That's hot. Okay, it's hot, you know. That's not okay. Ooh, but that's how I think. Mm. Yeah, but you got to think this way because smart people have figured it out already, and you got to think this way. Well, yeah, smart people figured it out, but... The smart people that figured it out were the ones that were not thinking inside the box. Or they never would have figured out anything new. So if you're going to teach it, at least teach it from, okay, this is this is where we've gotten. And we know that there's that we're going somewhere. What are we trying to all stand still? <laughs> you know? I, well, what I used to say to kids is up until now this is this is where we this is where we're at this is what people feel you need to learn so my job is to make sure you learn this stuff 
I'm not telling you that this is all there is to learn or that this is the best thing for you to learn. I'm telling you that the system that we live in is telling me to tell you that this is what you need to learn. And I've, I always couched it in terms of you, you exist in a context, you exist in a system, and that system puts pressures on me as your teacher, and it puts pressures on you uh, as a student in the, system, in the system, and it wants you to learn these things so that you understand And I wonder why. how how people take you being that honest, though. Have you ever gotten slack for being that honest? Because I think it's brilliant that you are. Well, I but got I can see fired. That, that might upset a few people. Got know? fired. I'd, I got, I'd call that slack. I got fired, but I don't know if that's why she fired me. Um, the kids loved it. The kids absolutely loved it. Uh, the other thing I would say to them is, you know, when they – when they would say, you know, I hate this class or I hate this teacher, I'd say, well, you're you're in it. You can't get out of it. So, because I, cause I knew where we were. They weren't going to move a kid from one class to the other because he didn't like his teacher. So what are you going to do about it? Because if you're going to sit there and call yourself a victim, then that's what you're going to be. So, because it's always about empowering the child. So, but no, I was told that I was too friendly and too close to my students. <laughs> so must, yeah, I guess must I, maintain an authoritarian distance from your students. Yeah, exactly. But no, you, you know, knowledge is power. So give them the knowledge. Yes, you're part of a system. You're in a system that's telling you you need to learn these things. But you can question that. You can question that. You can question the textbook. You can question the math book. You can question the dictionary. You, you know, that's another thing we don't teach them. I remember the first time somebody told me you can write in a book, like a like a novel. You can underline bits or write in it on the side. Or and I was like, wow. And that changed everything for me. And I was an English major, so that was huge. That was like, wow. That means I'm dialoguing with the author. I'm, it's like I'm interacting with the book, with the author, instead of just reading it passively. You know, it was it was huge, just the fact that I could write in the book. It was like, I guess that's how indoctrinated I was. We were not allowed to write in the book. It must be turned back in at the end of the year and available for other students. So there will be no writing in the margins. <laughs> I guess it was paperback novels yeah. we were allowed. Well, like it that. it it once you got to once you got to college it was okay as long as you weren't, you know, intent on selling your books back at the end of the year and stuff and of course that made them so expensive you got to do that and it I mean gosh the list, you know, of mm -hmm. but it is it's to me education was an experience in limitation. It was do it this way. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, even when a child is just starting something, you know. No, you can't. You, you can't do it like that. How do you know? How do you know I can't do it like that? Who? Who? who what? How do you know? How do you I know? Tried. I haven't tried. How do you know I? How do you know I can't put electricity through something and get light? I'm gonna go. I'll show you. And. So except for those ones that take their motivation from don't tell me what I can't do, um, it, it leaves all the rest of them stuck with what we have today, and that's it. And there will never be anything new. You follow the rules.
Good kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Draw within the lines. Stay in the box. And and mm-hmm. and they they really sort of overlook, uh, you know, because they don't really teach it in science or something. They might teach it in history that all of the things that we consider to be great advances. I mean, you go you go look in the science department, and they're liable to have pictures of. Uh, you know Newton and Galileo and and Einstein and and Leonardo and all of those people were considered. Some of them were considered insane at the time that they were doing what they were doing. And to me, the lesson should be: don't worry if you know the establishment thinks you're crazy. You know, mm-hmm. maybe do what you need to do to keep your job or whatever. But explain to your boss that, look, I want to play with this a little bit because I think I might have a better way. And bosses need to know that they need to let people do that because that's how every better way came about. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's how every, you know, oh, this is better than sliced bread. Well, somebody somebody originally thought of slicing the bread. And their and their their boss was probably like nobody will buy that and it'll be hard we have to put it in a package and what's that's horrible that's horrible it's just not how it's done we sell whole loaves that's not how it's done I I I think educators should be barred from using the term that's not how it's done it's okay if an educator wants to say well that's really interesting have you thought of trying it this way. That might be okay, but that's not how it's done. It's just, well, to me, should not be part of any curriculum or any education anywhere. Is You, you, you can say, well, I, I, nobody's ever done it like that, but that's not how it's done should go. Just so- go. So I want to um, get practical for a minute here, if I yeah, may. Yeah, certainly. Um, so what I did uh, when I was doing my master's thesis in educational technology, educational technology is anything that we do or any tool that we use that um, we use to teach people. So it's really broad, and I'm glad it's broad because – I wasn't really that much into like those audiovisual film things. So what I did when I did my thesis was the design of a learning environment or you might call it a system that is the best that we can come up with for children now. And this was back in the late 19 19- 90s, I guess, 1995, 1996 when I did that. And I had gone actually to a one-room schoolhouse just outside of Montreal as part of my research. And there was a woman running that place. It was actually part of the local school board. She was a, you know, she was paid by the school. She was part of the school system. And she had about 20 kids in there. And she was teaching kindergarten to grade six. And because it was a one-room schoolhouse in the 1990s, not the 1890s, 
she had all kinds of great things going on in that room. She had older children teaching younger children. She had children directing their own learning. She had children using the technologies that were available. They had computers. They had recording equipment. They had, you know, the kids were, they were reading aloud, but she didn't have time for them to read aloud to her. So she wanted to give them a context within which to read aloud. So she set up recording equipment so that the children could read aloud to their moms and dads. And then mommy or daddy would have a recording of little Samantha or whoever she was reading the story, either the one that she chose or the one that she had written. And I just think that's awesome. And she did all this with in one little room, just one, it was a literally a one-room schoolhouse. And so I got lots of energy and ideas from looking at that. And because she was teaching so many grades all at once, they really did have to teach themselves. She could oversee, but they had to do it themselves. So that's just one of the, of the um, examples that I, that I saw in my research that were really exciting, but that was the one I wanted to bring up today. So what I did recently was I created a website, and it's called uh, Teach Kids to Learn, and it's the number two, not the word. And on there, there's so much information. There's there's a sample curriculum. There are stories of children who've been successfully taught how to learn. There are um, Examples of a schedule, if someone wanted to start up a learning center for multi-age kids, maybe kindergarten to grade six or kindergarten to grade eight, how would that look? How could that work in a community? Because if if this idea is worth anything, it has to be doable. Now, I just wanted to throw that out there. And, of course, I'll put a link on that website also to this conversation when you know this this audio file when it comes available. Oh, that's great because I think that you know you talked about her ability to innovate and and really in ways her necessity of innovating because she was in a one-room school. Mm-hmm. And I I I just think it's worth kind of pointing out that you know there's been a lot of talk and TV specials and things about America's greatest generation. We saved the planet from war. We did this. We went to the moon. We did a huge, probably the majority, but a huge number of the people that were part of that generation that innovated and did all of those new things had been educated originally in a one-room schoolhouse where by necessity, as you said. There's no way that a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse can just be all in, off in the middle of everything every child is doing every minute. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And um, so just Not look at... they were encouraged to help each other. Right. Like, well, that's the best part say. of one-room schoolhouse scenarios. They're encouraged to help each other and interact with each other and assist each other. You look at um, so you look at the list of things make we make for well-rounded people. Well, you look at mm-hmm. the list of things we talked about: communication, collaboration, cooperation, exploration, 
mm-hmm. innovation, imagination. All of those things are necessary components because of that structure. I'm not necessarily saying we should all go to one-room schools now uh, because we have cities that have large numbers of kids. So, you know, but how but, can – but those elements were there, and so those elements were following that, part of those kids' education. Process, Rick, following that thought process, Rick, why couldn't we start to shift – I mean, these these – Smaller education systems that are popping up, like Lou's idea, are wonderful, but we do still have this massive structure. So why can't we begin to shift the structure by beginning to understand that maybe educating them by their date of manufacture maybe not be the best thing for our kids? <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe maybe we should consider that some learn better at night than they do during the day. Maybe we should consider that that different kids are interested in different things and maybe start to shift the existing school system as well and and mix some of these students up. Mix them up. Let's let's put some grade nines in with some grade twos and give them a couple hours of cross-contamination education. I think that's a grand idea. Let's get a little bit messy with it. Life's (laughs) messy. Life's messy. Why, Why is education so ordered and sterile? Sterile. It, a, lot I of the, wanted, a lot of the teaching in a university is done by other students. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to factories solve, are ordered and sterile. Well, let's let's sorry, let's not have factories. I I wanted to solve two problems at the same time. Uh, I wanted to um, address the need for community because in neighborhoods um, in in suburbia and even in the cities, it's sometimes hard to feel a sense of community because it's just so big and I'll also address the the one room schoolhouse um, idea and so we would have really small schools and you know a city block would would supply the kids for one school and there would be like 20 kids or something and it would be just a really small school it would just be one of the townhouse units on that block and they'd all walk there you wouldn't need any busing and it'd be i don't know maybe you could have 30 kids and two teachers or something but without all the expensive busing and everything you could probably afford that so your students uh, your teacher student ratios would would change would for the better and the kids would get the benefit of peer-to-peer um teaching and learning and all those other great benefits we talked about, plus they'd all know their neighbors. They'd all know all the other kids in the neighborhood, and we could go back to having that great sense of community that a lot of people that, you know, Rick, you were talking about the great generation, um, a lot of them grew up with that sense of community. They knew every kid in their neighborhood. Nowadays, you get kids sort of being bussed all over the place. I know the kids who lived right beside me when I lived in Pennsylvania because of the way the school districts were, there was a school right down the street, but they didn't go to that one. They went to one. They were bused to one like five miles away or something. It was ridiculous. And they didn't know any of their neighbors. It was really bizarre. Well, and also, every year, they don't know any of their teachers. Every year, they don't know any of their teachers. And... So the one-room schoolhouse is a place where the teacher has known that child since they were Mm -hmm. little. 
And so they know that, you know, little Johnny over there needs X to, you know, whatever it is, needs a, um, something imaginative or something artistic or something, something, you know, some he needs X to get him interested, right? And this one, you know, they kind of, and, and because kids naturally, you know, you say, well, we need all these specialists. We need these engineers and computer guys and this and that. And that. But kids sort of naturally fell into that because the teacher just knew, like a parent would almost, that kid mm-hmm. is really good with so-and-so. And the kids knew that too. And it engenders this sense of community of that guy's really good with the number stuff. And she's really good with words, and he's really good with colors, and and mm-hmm. it was just a natural. I believe that it was a natural settling, almost like self-guided education. It was mm-hmm. a natural landing into, well, this is what I'm, this is what I'm good at, and it was something they were appreciated for, not something they were singled out for by some force or or pu- so, sort of punished for because you weren't allowed to specialize in that anything until you were a graduate student. You somehow had to be average and fall into the bell curve for, you know, all these years. And people just, you got to look at the graph. The top of that bell curve is a really sharp turn. We just lose lots of people, man. The, the buses are turning over left and right on that bell curve. We need to throw it out. Mm-hmm. And and because it's to me just like a, you know a system that's designed to produce identical managers. That was the British education system. We need a lot of managers, a lot of middle management, and we need them to be identical. Uh, Rockefeller, I I need a nation of workers, not a nation of thinkers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of. Icky. Dangerous, dangerous statement, yeah. It's almost a kind of ant hillish. Kind of Orwellian. Ooh, she just went there. Well, yes, it's exactly what those people were trying to warn us about, was not that necessarily things would end up just exactly like they wrote them, but that the way things are right now are like that. You are forced exactly. to have right think. That you said what? Oh, that's wrong think. What? <laughs> it's really, what? really funny though. Is that what's really funny is that some of those classics that we're referring to were taught in the education system. Mm-hmm. When I was going to high school. Mm-hmm. And it's like well, yeah. wow, you know. But it certainly wasn't taught that that's what it meant. They weren't oh. going there. They weren't going to tell you that. No, no. No, that'll make the department head angry, and it might risk my job. But it was still taught as classic literature. It just astounds me that there it is right in front of your face. It's flat right in front of your face. You can't not notice it, and yet it's... Yeah, well, and it's not a separation of two, separation of disciplines. The math department doesn't talk to the literature department or the history department. Well, so you end up with the fact that all of the great mathematicians were rebels being left out of the story except over in the history department. And that's why the math department don't like them is because they're messy. They're not always one plus one equals two. They're messy. 
But innovation is messy. Evolution is messy. We learn, humans learn, it has been tried to make it otherwise for millennia, and it's never worked. Humans learn by making good mistakes. And that's an F. Mm -hmm. Does not teach children how to make good mistakes. Yeah, that's a that's a keeper, Rick. That's a keeper. People, people. What did you say? Evolution occurs because people make good mistakes. Is that what you said? That's a keeper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people. Edison made good mistakes. He learned something from every one of them, and it ended up being a light bulb. The Wright brothers screwed it up left and right before they got it together and made an airplane. I'm not really aware of very many of the great, what, what, what we would call great innovations, because we like the fact we can fly to go see our friends instead of never see them again. Um, so we call them great innovations. I'm not aware of very many of them that were clean. They were almost all messy. It took years sometimes of quote-unquote mistakes to get there. And it is vital, in my opinion, that children learn. Children know. You watch your kid trying to walk, and they screw it up a bunch. But every time they get up again, and they try it a little differently, until eventually they hit on, oh, this, this one foot in front of the other thing is pretty cool. It's working out. That foot sideways thing didn't work so good. <laughs> it's, it's how we learn. Right, wrong, or indifferent, save your judgments for the philosophy department. Uh, you may argue them all day over there, but it is just apparent, I think, to just watch humans. Humans learn by making mistakes. Humans almost never learn by doing something right. You know, they, they learn by making mistakes. The kid touches the stove, even though he's been warned. The kid turns the faucet the wrong way ten times before they learn, or, or ten hundred, ten thousand times before they learn that faucets turn a certain direction. And then you send them to another country, and they're completely screwed up because the faucets are backwards over there. And so they do it wrong and do it wrong and do it wrong until they get it right. And then it sticks. You just happen to do it right the first time. It doesn't stick. You don't even know you know it. And that's okay for some things, but... Learning and evolution is a series of quality mistakes. And I believe we're moving in, as, as a whole race, we're moving into sort of new territory. And we're only going to make it into something new if we can make good mistakes. Perfection just isn't on the template, I don't think. Well, that, you know, that brings up the whole new kids thing, because I, I do truly believe that the kids who are being born now and have been born in the last five years or so, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a continuum. Um, we had the indigos, and we have now the the crystals and the and the really really clear 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 kids who are coming in. And as Nikki said so eloquently a little while ago, they're not going to put up with this system for much longer. They're just not, and they're going to need. An alternative, um, and I wanted to just say uh, something about the concerns of parents, because parents 
from what I've seen, especially at the Peace School, where I was working very closely with the parents and I was sitting on the school board as well and hearing the concerns of the board, they want their children to have success in life. They want them to have a solid foundation for success in life. And their biggest fear in terms of the education of their children is that somehow they will miss out and not have the skills that they need and the knowledge that they need to be successful in society. And that is why, well, it's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why um, these basic skills are still so important. Because as much as these children, I think there are children, I read, I think I read that they can hold a book and tell you what it is, what's in it. They yeah. don't have to read it. Right. They, they can just hold it. It's vibrationally contained within the book. Right. And they're and, so advanced. And so what do you do us. with that? What do you do with that? How do you educate? Do you know what? Do you know what I would say that? to that child? Because yeah, I had an imaginary conversation with that child. Because I said, what am I going to do if one of these kids comes in and says, Mommy says, my child isn't reading. And the, and I say to the child, why aren't you reading, shrug? And then I say, you know, okay, Mommy, you go wait in the waiting room. And then I say to the child, what's in this book? And I give them a book they've never seen, and they tell me. Well, that's why she's not reading. She doesn't need to. They're reading you know would, in a different way. Well, if you she's wish. getting she's getting what's in the book in a different way. Do you know what I would say to that child? I would say, you know what? I've written books, and I put my heart and soul into that book, but I put something else in as well. Every word is chosen. Which word will I use? And there are poems in my books, and the poems it's the way the words go together. It's the sound of the words. It's not just the energetic feeling. It's the sound. Do you want to miss out on all of that? Don't you want both? You know? So do you want to learn to read so that you can read poetry, so that you can get what the author chose with her heart and her soul, which words she chose? Or do you just want to get it energetically? And then the choice is up to that person, obviously. I'm not going to force them. But that would be what I would say. I would say, you know, a lot of people are still using words, and they're really being careful how they choose their words. So you, with your energetic sensitivity and perhaps telepathy, would you like to still you know, be able to function in that older system? Or would you like to be able to communicate some of the things that you're able to to discern to some of us that haven't seen them yet? Yeah, exactly. And with that, you'll probably use some words. Yeah. Because so, you know, we don't the feel books. Be, exactly. And then the answer might be yes or it might be no, I, I really want to go in this direction. But at least we've had the conversation and I can say to them, this is why your child's not reading this, by the way, because she's able to hold the book and... And know what's in it, and and, yeah. and that's that requires that you have an educational system that's not full of lines and boxes. Absolutely, the way we're going now with these new kids coming in, it's just you know. Uh, and and as we say, these parents, you, you you struck on something. I just have to it's jumping up and down in my brain 
or in my heart that, that, you know, I want the kids to have a solid foundation for success. Okay. My success in the work world was very dependent on my ability to use computers to manipulate information, to um, use them to communicate, to um, abandon pretty much almost entirely fax machines and some of this other kind of stuff. And none of those things existed when I was in school. Mm. There was no PC. The PC was invented in 1981. And in the spring of 1981, I graduated from high school. It boggles young ones' minds that I graduated high school without the existence of a computer. But my point being, how is the teacher in that situation? These teachers of the same generation that that many of us went on to make fun of because they just never could figure out computers. How are you going to give someone a pile of information to memorize that's going to prepare them for the future? You just can't. You just can't can't because you have no earthly idea what it's going to look like. But but the concerns of the parent and the the fears, I'm going to use the word fear. Sure. They need to be at least seen and acknowledged and And, addressed. Well, and addressed in the way of, you know, by the way, Mr. Parent, you know, did you know all these things were going to exist when you were a kid? So did they prepare you for those in school? Well, yeah. How? They taught you how to learn. They 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 taught you how to think in the 3D world. There's some little tricks to it, you know, and and that is how you prepare kids for the future. You don't prepare kids for the future through some set of specifics because they may be totally useless or non-existent in 30 years. Yeah, I mean, there's even a question now, should we be teaching kids at all how to write with pens? Or should we just be teaching them keyboarding skills? Um, You know, should we be teaching them to print? Do they need that anymore? Um, You know, how are we going to sign our names if we don't know how to write? There's all kinds of questions because the world is changing so quickly. Do we even need to know how to read or is voice recognition and, you know, but uh, but but these basic, these basic tools of learning that you're talking about are are they're really in my opinion they're timeless. Yeah. Learning how to use a card catalog to find information in a library is how I learned to use Google. Because the first time I typed stuff into Google, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of like looking up Ghost in the card catalog. There's 500 books. So I've got to be able to look at that card catalog or look at those and go through that card catalog and pick 10 of those 500, go look at the 10 and read the liner notes or a couple of things and figure out if they're on the same, you know, going in the same direction I am. Because, you know, the books on Ghost, there's ones that they don't exist, ones that they do exist, one that they're bad, one that they're good. Which one's about what I'm thinking about? And yeah. that's how you use Google. Yeah. And and 
Microsoft Word does things now that are just blow my mind. But in the end, it's just a word processor. It works like the word processor that we had the very first one of, which worked a whole lot like a typewriter, except that the correct key was really good. <laughs> it didn't leave Marco. any chewed up spots on the page, you know. Yeah. You could just backspace. Yeah, but it was it was it. I was able to put it into that loose container, since in my mind it was not a hard walled stone box. It was just a loose container of this is the communication thing. Oh, okay. So, so when I typed, and then it, now I can type on this, and it does. And, ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Instead of oh, I don't know what the f hell that is. I almost dropped the f bomb. Uh, so, so the very basic skills would be skills with letters and skills with numbers, and skills with how to find things out, how to ask good questions, how to where to go for the answers, and I would add, you know, synthesizing some kind of a, this is what I know now, and this yeah. is how I'm going to use some, it. Some form of self-evaluation of, yeah. you know, okay, I bet there's a really good way to do this that somebody's figured out, but I at least see if I can, you know, because I, there's stuff I know, to, know how to do on the computer that a computer expert would say, that's really messy. There's an easier way to do that. It's not easier for me because I don't know it. I don't know anything about it. So it's harder for me that way, see. But I've found a way that works. It always works. It's cool. I'm not teaching anybody else to do it that way. That's just how I do it, and it works. And that's got to be okay. We've got to find a way for that to be okay and not be an F. And, uh, and, and, and how to make good mistakes, you know. Oh, you threw that big lump of clay on the potter's wheel and you pushed it in a certain way and it went flip. What are you going to do now? You're going to give up? You're going to, I did it wrong? Are you going to, you know, when I you was, feel it, do so-and-so, that means don't or whatever, you know? It's good yeah. mistakes. I, we haven't heard from Nikki for a while. And I also wanted to mention about apprenticeship and about um, enlisting um, uh, teaching education knowledge from people who aren't technically teachers, like for example, you know, um, you know, somebody who's uh, nope. really good at organizing events, and this person wants to organize an event. She wants to become good at it. She wants to become a, like almost like um, she's not sure what to call it, but maybe it's something like a project manager or something. She's not sure, and she's only fifteen, and she wants to she wants to do what would she do? And I would say to her, find somebody around you who's organizing an event and ask them if you can help. Ask them if you can, you know, be a part of that in some oh, way. I agree. Or and and you I know. Have to well, I have to say that the whole idea of apprenticeship and uh, beginner versus expert and the apprentice is as important to the master as the master is to the apprentice in my mind. And it's a huge subject. And so we're going to have to have you back. <laughs> I, I I don't know if the dogs are going nuts. Are you there, Jean? I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm here. We're, I've running, had a couple, out of, we're, I've we're had just a... running out of time, you know, so you got a couple questions. We are. 
Um, we're going to have to have her back because there's, I mean, now we get into this apprenticeship idea and that takes us back to, you know, the long way back into those creative arts um, and, you know, stuff like woodworking and painting and stuff like that. They used to always have apprentices, even stonework. Um, So, you know, that's a whole the whole show in and of itself, really, if you think <laughs> Well, apprenticeship is as old as time, it seems to me, because you've always had apprentices. The young girl that's learning to cook at her mom's side is an apprentice. It's just, I, I know, it's just but what I'm saying is we don't really have that now. No, we I mean, don't. All gone. Well, Maybe I'm not going to say totally all gone, well, but I'd really like to see it come back. Really, really. Yeah, so, so that's what back. we're saying. That, that yeah. talking about talking about that coming back is like a whole show in and of itself because there's there would be so many benefits to it. So like I like Rick said, we'll have to have you back. We just <laughs> simply can't do it all in ninety minutes. We're actually well over our ninety minutes, and we still haven't even gotten all of it. Yeah. Oh, and there's <laughs> there's. There is. There's so much more to go, and it's a it's a subject that I know I'm. It's near and dear to my heart, and I'm passionate about, and I know that Jane is passionate about it as well, and so are you. So I know that we could. Uh, well, we've taken certain points in the conversation to places they've never been before, and we can do that again. And I hope we do. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, schedule lady, we'll have to work on that, and. Um, <laughs> And here comes the part where uh, I get to tell everybody that, uh, especially now with the way that we're going to be doing the show, it's just really important that you get by our website at everydayconnection.me and sign up for our mailing list and check out the schedule page and um, some of the other informations that are there because the way that we're going to be doing this, some shows will be recorded before we really even know where it goes and what comes next. So it's just important that you give us one more route that we can stay in touch with you. Even if all you do is visit and look at the schedule page, you don't have to sign up for the emails, and I promise we'll never sell your email, we'll never give it away, um, and um, we won't send a whole bunch of junky stuff. You'll just hear who's coming, what's up, what we're up to. Uh, because now that we're doing this in this different format, we're going to have some options for video. We're going to have a lot of options. A lot of things are coming, and that's where to find out about them. And speaking about websites, tell us one more time, Lou, where folks can find teachkidstolearn.com? Yes, I know. It's it's teach kids to, like the the number two, Mm -hmm. learn. Dot wordpress.com. Ah, teach kids. Yeah. The number two, learn. Dot wordpress.com. Wordpress. And I've started a blog chronicling the creation of a center of independent learning right here in the eastern townships of Quebec. And I'm very excited. This is a brand new, big, big project that I'm embarking on here. Talk about uh, learning by doing. That's that's exactly what's happening. That's awesome. Absolutely awesome. So, folks, check out the website. 
click on schedule, you'll see who's coming, what's what's coming. We have exciting stuff coming and exciting people coming. So we hope that you will join us again. And you can always go to iTunes and sign up. And uh, and by being on our mailing list, if there's ever any changes in the iTunes feed or anything, you'll hear about it right away. You can just click and it'll all be fixed. So um, get in there and sign up for the mailing list. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. And... Uh, Join us the next time that we've tickled your interest. But until then. To our mother, to each other, and especially to yourselves, stay connected. Thanks, everybody. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Everyday Connection. Think you might miss an episode? No problem. Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted we promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer see jared.com slash price match for details so you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life the only question before that question how do you find the perfect ring to ask it with with the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.